Hi, I'm Tanya Krause with Health Trust. Welcome to Health Trust Candid Conversations podcast. This is a conversation series where we highlight physicians, clinicians, and healthcare leaders who are innovating, caring for those in need, and working to improve human life. In this conversation, recorded live at Health Trust University, I talked to Beverly Kirshner, Chief Compliance Officer with Surgery Direct. This episode is about physician alignment with ASCs and hospitals, staffing shortages, and the challenges of a changed environment. We also dive into product quality and regulation. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. All right, so Beverly, I have known you for over 20 years, right? You're a respected clinician, developer, and leader in the ASC space, the ASC market, and it's an honor to work with you again. And I'm so thankful to have you here today. I know you flew across the country and I'm just thankful. Oh, well, it's my honor to be here because I've already learned some new stuff today at the Health Trust meeting and uh, I'm looking forward to the next couple of days with this group. It's oh, wonderful. So, um, so this is my second trade show, the second live trade show in over two years. And many things as we knew them have changed forever, right? So what do you think has changed within the ASC setting that was long overdue? We know there were a lot of changes, but what do you think has changed that's long overdue? So I think the ASC industry has been kind of uh, ignored, especially by the federal government and big health systems across the country. Uh, we know that we produce and do millions of cases a year safely, and we know that our data that we collect is very good, but people haven't really set up and taken notice. And what the pandemic did for us was, well, it shut us down for a while, and we kept our staffs employed, we kept them paid, we did things that were kind of fun with them. We did additional education. We looked at our paperwork. We looked at all of our efficiencies and processes. So it gave us an opportunity to update and to look at what is changing in healthcare and where the ASC industry is going and what can we do to be prepared for or to market for that next step. One of the biggest things I think that really happened for us was the fact that we weren't recognized by the federal government as part of a team when there was a public health disaster such as this pandemic. And had they looked at us sooner, I think things would have gone a little bit smoother, especially for some of these big hospitals. And the other thing that the federal government didn't realize is that our environment is so much safer that we didn't have to quit elective surgery, thus putting a real strain on patients who wanted surgery or needed surgery. And let's face it, we define elective in so many different ways, but not all surgery that we call elective is truly elective. Those biopsies need to be done in a timely manner before something grows worse and, and takes us to another level. There are so many things that didn't happen that could have happened and that we as an industry need to sit down and talk about not only 
among each other as colleagues, but we need to be talking to our state health departments and our federal governments, and as well as our state governments, to make sure that when that next disaster occurs, that they understand the role that this industry can play in keeping healthcare moving forward, because we didn't get to do that. That actually leads perfectly into my next question. Um, so during a pandemic, the ASCs are safe environment as hospitals focus on the acute patients in mass. So how do you think we can do a better job partnering with hospitals in the future? Well, I think it's coming down to the hospital systems, realizing that, yes, ASCs are competitors for what they consider some of their great surgeries and their money makers. However, we can also be their partner in many ways that they haven't looked at. So when they were shut down and they couldn't get their employed surgeons doing elective surgery and they were paying these huge salaries, they could have partnered with those surgery centers around them and and set up temporary privileges or real privileges and work side by side and been able to keep their patients taken care of as well as their physicians seeing patients and making money and it would have frayed some of that cost that some of them are going to be living with and trying to um, deal with for years to come now because some of these health systems were hurt tremendously by this pandemic and especially when the bulk of their revenue came from that operating room. That's a that's a very good point um, as usual. So you know my career, you know what I'm passionate about and one topic is building community, whether it's you know the health system, the ASCs, the physicians. Um, so I believe to your point that we need to build a bridge in our communities for community-based care, especially when we need each other. So we've talked about this a little bit, but what do you think that first step should be? Because you, you mentioned it, right? ASCs sometimes view, they view each other as competitors. So how do we lay down that competitive nature, right? And start with that first step. Well, I think we need to involve our physicians more because even if our physicians are partners and they have equity stakes and they own ownership in that ASC, most of them are still working in that hospital system. And I think that that's where you start. You start working with your physicians to make those introductions both to and from. I've worked with many health systems that um, have looked at many different ways to do surgery and to do things. And in fact, one of those is our multi-license system. And we worked with a hospital system in the Denver area and created a multi-licensed surgery center for one of their top dollar cases that the government changed reimbursement on, but they upped our reimbursement in the ASC. So it was a win-win for the hospital to own a piece of that multi-licensed surgery center because they still brought profit to the bottom line for that case and it still made a positive impact on them. So, you know, you need to figure out where your synergies are and how to work together. And the best way to start is with your good physician partners that work in both systems. And I think that that's the biggest value that we can bring. So I know that you've probably been asked this question several times during your career. 
but what are some of the things that keep you up at night? Oh man, there are lots of things that are keeping me up at night. I think one of the biggest things right now is um, staffing. And here at Health Trust, I mean, I just left a education session where they were talking about how staff is so mobile now and that they move wherever the better pay is and how are we going to build loyalty again and what can we do? Now the ASC market, uh, we're really nurse friendly because we work Monday through Fridays, we work days, we don't have call, we don't have holidays. Now, does that mean that the nurse goes home at three or four o'clock every day? Absolutely not. But we work as a team to make sure that everybody has quality life and quality time off. And we can do that because we're a smaller market, but these hospital systems can't. And I think one of the biggest things is training nurses for the operating room. And um, there are several health systems out there faced with this and the ASC industry is faced with it too. But your, your nurses are aging out. Uh, when you're looking at a average age of an operating room nurse around 57 years old, you're not looking at a nurse that's going to be in that operating room for many more years because physically, especially inpatient physically, you just get to a point where you can't tug, lift, pick, pick up, move as fast as you used to move, nor do you have the strength that you used to have. So I think that we've got to look at ways of partnering with our nursing schools and others to create perioperative nurses because surgery is only growing. And with technology growing, we're only going to see more and more issues solved with surgery versus trying to manage them medically. And especially now that we're doing all sorts of special research on organ donations and organ growth and stem cells and what stem cells do. So I think it's only a beginning market. I think we're just tipping the iceberg. We're not even down to the bottom of it, but it's gonna be interesting to see where the next five to 10 years go. But I'm from the state of Texas, and I can tell you the Texas Nurses Association has realized that by 2030, the state of Texas will be over 100,000 nurses short. And where we are right now, especially like in Houston, Texas, they are paying staff nurses to circulate at the of what they pay per hour for a leader today. That's the only way they can get them. And those nurses will jump ship in a heartbeat for that next extra dollar. So eventually we're gonna price ourselves out of the market because these health systems have to control cost, but we've got that huge thing coming down. The other big thing I think the industry is facing and especially ASCs are shortages, supply shortages, drug shortages, all of that is really hitting us hard. And when it's what it's really saying to us is, what do we do next? Why is raw product not getting to these vendors for us to be able to get that supply made? Why were all of our vendors allowed to start manufacturing overseas so that when this pandemic hit, 
we couldn't get PPE because it was manufactured in another country. It had to come via ship. The country, the world pretty much shut down and we were struggling. We were moving. And for ASCs, our allocations were so low that we really, really struggled. And I think that that comes back to a lot of things, not just on the manufacturers, but I think that comes back to our federal government and our state governments making sure because as a healthcare provider, my life safety codes and my safety testing for all of us is tremendous. Why is there not the same standard for manufacturers and, and, and distributors? Because when we need our product, we need our product. And I think the first warning shot was that hurricane that took out Puerto Rico and we couldn't get products from for orthopedic cases in one of our biggest manufacturers for months because their plant was leveled. And we couldn't get IV fluids for the same reason. There was no backup system here in the United States to pick up when we were in trouble. And I don't know how to fix that problem, but I do think that that's a big elephant in the room that everybody needs to be talking about and addressing. So to your point, um one of the things, because we all learned, right? We're all doing things a little differently today. And one of the things that we are doing at Health Trust is we're requiring suppliers to provide more visibility into their supply chains, you know, where the products are manufactured, assembled. It's not just manufacturing, right? It's also the assembly, sterilization, where are the products warehoused? Um, the other key point that we realized during COVID and today are raw materials. So, and where are those raw materials coming from? So, you know, it's it's interesting how, so, I mean, we already had a very, very strong process, but now we're going down, we're peeling the onion back, we're going layer by layer by layer. Um, we've also increased the review of supplier redundancies and mitigation capabilities based on the above. Um, you know, those factors have also been incorporated into our advisory committees, advisory boards, supply chain boards, just to ensure the boards are weighing those factors into contract award decisions as well. Because, you know, Beverly, you've been part of committees and boards your entire career. You often look at price and the savings for your system. But today we have you know, we have to weigh everything. I was personally repositioned on the broker team and we vetted over 5,000 brokers, just health trust. Um, we also vetted material and products for our members. So we utilized our clinical teams, you know, to take a look at products so that our members would have safe products. But you know, it was it was very emotional during that time. I don't think I know our team didn't have a day off for almost two months, just focused. And I really took it personal because to me, that was about protecting my family. Right. It was, you know, we worked all hours just to protect our family. And I think that's um, I think that was one of the good things. I think I, I saw the best out of humanity, but I also saw some of the worst where we would send teams in to review product, you know, that just wasn't there. It was never going to be there. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that that's a big deal. And I think too now that the federal government under the fraud, under our uh, fraud acts that we have, um, I think that they're looking more and more at these brokers and they will be going after these brokers. And I think that that's a good thing. And I think it's up to each and every one of us to inform the government on who has brokered product that was inferior and was not what it was supposed to be and was not FDA approved. And so I think that that's one of our avenues. But it's amazing to me because um, some of these laws have been in place since the Civil War when it comes to billing fraud for the government and for us. And I just think it's really interesting to watch how the government is now taking that old of a law and revamping it and going after what they need to go after for us. But they can't do it unless we identify it. And so I think that that's a great piece that Health Trust did when they vetted these to let us know what we could and couldn't work with. And I personally think that Health Trust and other major systems need to have a word with the HHS secretary that is responsible for the stockpiles and the product so that we have a say in that product that's there and how is it going to be distributed and those kind of things because you know as an ASC nothing happened for us we were not distributed anything and so it was it was uh, it was tough I, I I can honestly say it was tough and I had some nurses with with elderly parents that they were caring for that could not and would not come to work for this very reason. So my next question is, what do you see coming? So you've always been a visionary in this space. So what do you see coming that will in impact the ASCs most in the future? I think we're gonna see a bunch of law changes and regulation changes come out of this. And I, you know, the, um, final rule draft came out last week and in it they're taking us back to the bare basics on a lot of things but already one of the clear quality indicators that they're looking at us re reporting under infection control coming up in 2022 is how many of our employees have been vaccinated against COVID-19 and when that becomes a quality indicator that we have to report and then that starts affecting how we're going to be reimbursed for Medicare and Medicaid. It becomes a bigger element in our facilities. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of talk going on about health systems not allowing staff to work if they've not been vaccinated. But I think it's like the flu. We need to make sure that it's not 100% because not everybody can be vaccinated for medical reasons, for religious reasons, and we need to honor that. But I think that they also, we need to do a better job in training our staff about vaccines and especially this new type of vaccine and the technology that, believe it or not, you know, has been worked on since the late 80s, early 90s. It just so happened it was at a point that when this pandemic hit, they were able to use that technology to help us be able to reopen and to feel safe to go out and to begin to come back to 
to normal. I hated the new normal. I don't know about anybody else, but I absolutely hated the new normal. And I can't tell you how excited I am to be at, finally at meetings again and at trade shows so that I can network because I learn far more networking than I do reading all day, every day. And, it, and it's just good for you. All right. So my next question is, what do you what do clinicians need to understand from an administrative perspective? So I think uh, our clinicians need us to be very transparent. I think that they need to understand the products that we're bringing in. I think they need to understand cost. I think we need to share that not only with our staff, but also with our physicians, whether they're partners or not, because cost is driving healthcare right now. And if we don't work together as a team to decrease the cost of healthcare, we're gonna be in trouble. We're gonna see facilities having to close because they can't make a bottom line. Waste in this country, especially in the operating room, is tremendous. If you really want an eye opener, just put a special trash can for all unused products that was thrown on the backfield and inventory it every day. And you won't do that for long because then you'll start looking at your custom packs and you'll get them right. You'll start looking at the products you're throwing out on that field because that, that preference card hasn't been updated in three years. Uh, I mean, there's just so much that we can do internally, but we can't do it without our staff. And we've got to be transparent with them and we've got to give them the ability to make changes themselves and to recommend change because that's the only way we're going to succeed. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health Trust Candid Conversations podcast. Please visit education.healthtrustpg.com to find additional resources for clinicians and also go to healthtrustpg.com forward slash the source to listen to more of our Candid Conversations podcast episodes.